30 years of marriage. What a privilege to do life with this gal for 30 years. Yeah. We've been through a few things together. Who, how in the world did we get here 30 years later? And yet it feels like just yesterday, and it's a joy to do life with you, dear. Love you very much. Yep. <laughs> and then I'll try to get my bearings here after saying that. <laughs> yeah, it is, it's cool. It is cool. And uh, yeah, God brought us together. And my stupidity, I would have missed her. And uh, I thank God for every relationship that didn't work out and that was a disappointment because those relationships were all in the way of a greater thing that God had for us. You know, uh, we were both at a conference. I'm way off subject here, so pardon me, just one of those moments. We were both at a conference in 1980. Uh, We never met at the conference just it would be several years later that we got acquainted and we're talking and realized we were both at the same conference at the same time where we heard a speaker who challenged us to begin praying for our future mates, <laughs> actually challenging us to create a future mate folder, putting in there revelations as God gave them to us as to who it is we're supposed to marry. And so God, we were, we were praying for each other, and every time we would battle with stuff or deal with stuff, we knew that whoever that person was, they were dealing with stuff as well, so it just prompted us to pray for them. So we were praying for each other before we ever knew each other, and when we got together, we realized who we'd been praying for. And uh, are you letting in the middle of your major decisions? Are you seeking him and surrendering these things to him? put myself on any kind of pedestal it was just by the grace of God but surrendering and believing yeah yeah so I love you dear (laughs) so anyway where was I 1992 I had been serving as youth pastor in Greeley and it was good but we had a change of pastor pastors and uh, the the new pastor coming in told me I could stay there as long as I wanted to uh, I just didn't feel like it was the right thing to do. And so I didn't know what I was going to do next. Uh, so I resigned August, August 1st and started repairing appliances and uh, also uh, looking at this little franchise because I wanted out of the ministry, honestly. And uh, my dear wife was prank. She knew, I, she, she knew that I wasn't supposed to be, get out of the ministry. Uh, and uh, so thank God she kept praying. And uh, by, by October, we were moving from Greeley, Colorado to Dallas, Texas. But we were well into our eighth month of pregnancy here. So if you can imagine, you know, you're working with a doctor getting ready for this child, and now you're uprooted, you're moving. And so it was a, a very difficult time in, in life for us. Uh, and, and we needed some transitional housing in order to, you know, to get established there and then figure out a more permanent housing situation. And it looked like what was the perfect opportunity opened up to us because a couple of members of the church there in Dallas said that some neighbors of theirs were going on a road trip for a year. They heard about our need, and they would gladly loan us their house. Sounds perfect, right? Yeah. 
Well, it wasn't, <laughs> because no sooner had we pulled in and started getting settled to, w- w- into what we were, hoping, we were hoping would be our first breath, uh, w- when the people who had set all this up came over and said, well, we've got some good news and we've got some bad news. <laughs> and you always want the bad news first, right? The bad news is that the folks who own this house have decided their road trip isn't working out, and they're coming home now, and so you need to leave. <laughs> the good news is, is that we have a couple of extra bedrooms and an extra bathroom in our house, and you're welcome to use that. Perfect, right? Well, no, it wasn't perfect. Because those two bedroom doors, you know, one where Carly was staying and Valerie and I and another, the doors opened up into their business offices. Yeah. We're talking this business would start at 7 in the morning, so five days a week, and people arriving early, there would be an active business running just outside of our bedroom doors. And to get to that extra bathroom, we had to walk through the business to the bathroom And we had to share that bathroom with the people who were part of that business. Oh, man. It was pretty bad. But it was temporary. It was temporary. And that's that's really what what today's teaching is all about. Uh, It's all about... The temporary season we find ourselves in right here, temporary housing. You don't worry a whole lot about temporary housing. You don't get too caught up in what the carpet looks like. You don't get too caught up in the wall color. You don't get too caught up in where you're going to put pictures. Every investment of your time, of your energy, of your abilities, all of your energy, it's going to be assessed by, by one reality, we're only in this situation for a short time, and then we're moving on to a more permanent place. And this is the way that we have to look at the text today. Look at verse 17 there in your scripture. It says, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here. <laughs> See that? Throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Friends, we live for another place. Our current stay here is just for a moment, and Peter wants us to know that while we're here, we're a little different because we're not putting too much stock in this place. And so you notice it starts off with the word, therefore, pointing us back to last week where we saw that we are to greatly rejoice because we have a living hope that says, despite whatever the world might throw at us, we can endure, we can handle it because it's only temporary. This isn't the place of our permanent Residence And today's text clearly builds on this same theme, but it shifts from spiritual temptations to physical trials. In fact, if I were to sum up last week with a question, I would sum it up with, with this question. How do I stay joyful in the midst of trials? If I were to sum up this week, it, the question would be this way. How do I stay holy in an unholy environment? And and this is the call here. But it's interesting how Christians throughout the years have addressed the subject of holiness. 
There have been those who have been about imposing laws. You know, a whole bunch of do's and do's, just endless lists. And the problem with all of these laws is that they're a Pandora's box. And the more laws you impose, the more you realize how many temptations, how many traps there are along the way. Law only condemns. So there's a major problem with that approach to holiness. Other people try to isolate themselves. You know, stay away from those folks. They're not believers. And, and while I would endorse that when it comes to major decisions like who you're going to marry, who you're going to sign up with in business and other important um, things like this, it's not God's heart in the grand scheme of things because Jesus calls us to be in the world, but at the same time, not of the world. And while we're here, we're supposed to be ambassadors of a greater day. You know, today we're singing about uh, the, the world being uh, evaporating, kind of like snow in, in one of the songs that it's dissolving, Right? That this world is not forever and we're preparing for another place. And because we really believe that, we want other people to be prepared for that place as, as well. And, and so we need to, to, to point people to a question that I've really appreciated that goes something like this. Have you ever had an experience or have you ever known someone that has caused you to think that just maybe God is real? And that's what we're here for. We're here as, temper, as, as witnesses to that fact, living proof that God is alive and he's well and he's making a difference in the lives of those who trust him. We're different. We're strangers. We're aliens. We are not of this world. It's a temporary place. Now, notice verse 6, or, or I'm sorry, verse 13 here, and I just want to walk through six commands that we see here for us as we do life in this fallen planet. Starting with verse 13, gird up the loins of your mind. We'll talk about that. Secondly, be sober, right, in your thinking, self-control. Don't be intoxicated by the world. Third, rest your hope fully upon the grace that will be yours at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Going to verse 14, number four, don't conform to your former lusts. Don't give in to them, to your flesh. Number five, verse 15, be holy. And then verse six, or, or number six, verse 17, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Phobos, that's the Greek word, literally phobia, right? But if you understand the context of it, what it's really talking about is awe and reverence of God. Now, Michael, you didn't read my manuscript today and you started singing I stand in awe of you so you had no idea that word awe was part of our text today and that's where thank you for being obedient to the Lord and just going with it you know it's it's really the sense folks that when there's people around in the house we have greater accountability it's a good thing when we're alone we're subject to all sorts of temptations that's why God said it's not good for the man to be alone. If we could have the sense that God is always in the house, we would do things differently. And the level of what we think we're getting away with is the level to which we really lack faith that God is with us. 
And so it's this whole business of practicing, practicing the awe of God. But all of this is about us living as representatives of God's kingdom while we do life on this fallen, on this fallen planet with the hope that somehow we're going to influence others to come with us along the way. So as I proceed with the teaching, there are three major things that I believe God would have me to highlight this morning. Let me give them to you. I'm gonna, we're going to do the first one, and then I just felt compelled this morning to stop, and we're going to do communion together, and then I'll give you the last two. But those three things are, number one, celebrate. Number two, set your mind. And number three, set apart. So let's start walking through these. First one, celebrate. Verse 18, celebrate your redemption. It says, you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, silver or gold. So what does it mean to be redeemed? Well, there was a man who fell upon really hard times. His health, health failed him, and because his health failed him, he wasn't able to pay his bills. Uh, things were catching up. As a result, his debtors were trying to figure out how to settle with him. Then it got to the point where they pressed charges, so they had this man tried and thrown into a debtor's prison, him along with his entire family, thrown into debtor's prison until he could pay the entire debt back. But there was a major problem with debtor's prison, and, and the major problem is that you can't make money while you're in prison. So if you can't make money while you're in prison and you can't pay your debts, then that means it's a life sentence. But there's good news to the story because somebody had mercy on this man. A family member stepped forward and, and said, I've got what's necessary. I'll pay that debt for him. Go ahead and set him free. Wow. How would you feel if you were that guy? Pretty good, huh? Yeah. Thank you very much. I mean, you're an honest person, a hard worker. You can help your situation. And here's somebody who's stepping forward and, and is helping you. Well, Here's the reality of that story. Whether we are willing to accept it or not, or whether we realize it or not, we are all in a debtor's prison at the moment. It's an empty way of life that has been handed down to us by our forefathers. And that's why life on this planet is so stinking frustrating. We are trapped in a prison that we can't seem to buy our way out of. We have no way of helping ourselves but there's good news to the story someone had mercy on us God in his great mercy who had the capacity of doing so stepped forward and said I have what's necessary to take care of your debt I will pay your debt for you set this person free <laughs> That's what we're talking about right here. Jesus, the lamb without blemish or spot, the one without sin, said, I'll pay the price for you. And, and the Old Testament gives us a, a picture of this, of, of what Christ would ultimately do. It's, it's found in a person called a kinsman redeemer. Now, here are the word kin, okay? Next to kin, we're talking family member. We're talking a family member who has the capacity of helping us out. Well, here's the good news. Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. 
my kinsman redeemer. I owed a debt I couldn't pay. He stepped forward. He paid the price. I was trapped in a prison of futility, of frustration, unable to find my way out. And Jesus said, I will rescue you. That's good news. And when Jesus went to the cross, he was saying, I have what's needed to set you free. Let me pay the debt for you. Wow. So the application here is for us to celebrate. In God's love, he had the heart and the willingness to pay a price to do for you and me what we could never do for ourselves. We had no way of rescuing ourselves. We were stuck, right? And this high price for our salvation isn't something we take lightly. It affects every aspect of our lives. At least it should affect every aspect of our our lives. And so right here, just a couple of questions for you to consider. Consider these. Have you faced the reality of your debt, of your sin problem? I know we live in a culture that wants to affirm all sin. And what that does is says, just get rid of Jesus. We don't need him because we can affirm all sin. You know, we're just, uh, we're all okay. Have you faced the reality of your sin problem? Despite what society might define that sin as being, have you faced the reality of it? Have you accepted the fact that Jesus has stepped forward with a willingness to pay that penalty do you to pay it himself? Have you come to that place? Have you even given thanks to him for that great gift? In fact, right now, right where you are, if you've never done it before, can you get honest to say, I have a debt that I can't pay, that I see it. My life is a life of futility, and I need rescued. I need a Savior. And can you give him glory and thanks for what he's done for you? Can you receive the gift? And can you see how it requires a turning from going your own way, saying, I want to go life his way? Just take a moment right there. Maybe right now, somebody's just saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. And others of us in our hearts might be celebrating and saying, thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I see I've been going my own independent way, and today I turn around, and Lord, I want to learn to do life your way. You did so much for me, I gladly give my life for you I owe it to you thank you Jesus thank you Lord and so this points us to a mission in life that as we're celebrating what Jesus Christ did for us we are no longer here just to survive we're no longer here just to work work our jobs to to healthy like health you know when you have your health you have everything no we have a greater purpose it's a temporary house we don't put too much stock in the carpet color the wall color where the pictures go we live for another place but while we're here we are representatives of god's kingdom of light and love and hope amen amen yeah so right here i want us to celebrate in communion and i'm going to invite the ushers to come and be ready to serve you
sounding idea. I mean, I've taken anatomy class, and I don't remember the mind and the loins being in any way connected, right? I, I know Peter's a random guy, but what in the world is he talking about? So, all right, think for a moment about the clothing that Jesus wore. It's pretty typical of Old Testament, New Testament clothing. A long robe, right? And a long robe can be cumbersome. There's not much freedom there. I mean, if you need to run, if you, if you need a little more flexibility, if you're going to engage in battle, the, the robe around your feet hamper, hampers your ability to move. So... There's an accessory, right? Yeah, Jesus was accessorized with a belt. And the belt had a couple of purposes, but one of those purposes was that if you needed to run, if you needed a little more flexibility, if there was a conflict you needed to engage in, that you could pull your robe up, tuck it into your belt, and then you would be ready for action. That's what Peter's talking about right here. He's saying, keep your minds ready for action. And then he tells us two ways to do that. He says, be sober. Be sober in your thinking. Don't be intoxicated by the, 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 the juice the world is trying to serve you. Okay, be sober in mind. Then the second one is rest your hope, which is really about holding on to the reality that this house is a temporary house and Jesus is coming again, okay? So giving in to lust is like an athlete who gets drunk the night before the big race. He's not going to be ready to run, right? So don't get intoxicated by the world stuff. Karl Marx is, is known for the quote, religion is the opiate of the masses. Well, I'm here to tell you today that, okay, false religion, that might be true. But we don't preach religion. We preach a relationship with a living God. But the worst opiate we face are the lying juices that the world's trying to serve us that do nothing more than feed our insatiable flesh, which will not be satisfied and will only disappoint and leave us in this life of frustration. We've got to stay sober and keep our minds ready for action. The two favorite verses that point to this, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world. Don't let this world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Ready for action is knowing God's truth, walking with God's spirit, letting God's spirit teach us that truth. Okay, then this next one is one we really need to hear in this day and age. So why don't you read it with me? Philippians 4.8. Let's read it together. I think it's back here for you. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. And so the application here, keep your mind ready for action and answer this question, are you disciplined in what you are allowing your mind to be fed on? Set your mind. Okay? The second one is set apart. And this is verses 15 
and 16. What does it mean to be holy? If you ask around, I'm sure you'll get all kinds of answers. We're probably a little bit uncomfortable with the whole business of, of, of holiness. We'll gladly sing holy, 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 but we want to keep that out there and keep ourselves detached from it. It's this kind of deception that somehow the religion we proclaim and the lives we live are separate because we certainly don't want to live with a holier-than-thou attitude. But my friends, that is a perversion of holiness. And it's far from the holiness the Bible calls us to because the Bible calls us to authentic holiness, a God kind of holiness. It has to do with how we love God, how we love others, and how that shows itself in practical, vital ways. It means to be set apart for God's sacred purpose. But if you really want to know what holiness is about, it's to be perfected in love. And when I say perfected in love, it doesn't mean that we walk through the world affirming people in their sin and embracing sin. That's not what it's talking about, but it's beyond that. It's loving so much that we're willing to lay our lives down, to even take the risk of being vulnerable, to be about the good news of the kingdom that God sent his son to save sinners such as me. And that's why we talk about marriage uh, sometimes as being holy matrimony. A man and woman stand up in front of people and in front of God to express that they're now changing their relationships, that they're not going to live quite the way they did in relationship with family and others because now they are separating themselves in a very unique and special way unto each other that shows itself in practical, uh, intimate ways. And so that's the holy matrimony. We talk about the scriptures as being the holy scripture because we believe they are God's word, right? They're separate from all other literature. Not that other literature can't be helpful or encouraging along the way, but the scriptures are uniquely God's. And we are to be God's holy people, unique and set apart from the world because we're living for another place where his sealed by the holy spirit our holiness is essential because it's the only way we will be able to live with god forever it's the only way you see god's holiness is like a consuming fire anything less than holy is destroyed by his very presence God doesn't want that for us. And this is why the Bible says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We want to see the Lord. So here we are doing life humbly in awe and reverence of the living God, desiring to be everything that he's created us to be, yet at the same time recognizing we can't do it ourselves. We need his help. We need his spirit at work in us. And so we walk with the attitude, except by the grace of God, go I. And so by way of application here, what is holiness to you? Is it a joke? Is it something to be smirked about, you know, kind of laughed at? not taken seriously, or is it a necessity? Hear what the word is saying. Can you imagine being perfected in love? Total selflessness, what does that look like? What areas of your life keep you from giving yourself fully to God 
And based on what he's done for you, are you willing today to say, I want to be fully and wholly yours? Just between you and God. So what do we do with this teaching today? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Right? Gird up the loins of your mind. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. There's a Father up above, and He's looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Your eyes are the closest connection to your, to your mind. Therefore, be careful what you look at. And here we are in a day when we have access to anything you can imagine. But what David did was he made a covenant with his eyes. If you look at Psalm 101, verse 3, he says, There I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. Make a covenant with your eyes. Secondly, put long-term effects ahead of short-term gratification. Hollywood will never share with you the embarrassment and the horrible consequences that have to do with being discovered in secret sin. Think before you act. How might your decision hurt somebody that you care most about? And if uncovered, how might it destroy your reputation and your witness? Be holy. Third, Pray for a few close friends that you can be honest with. Remember our study of James where it says confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you might be healed? Yeah, it's not easy to do, but pray for that. And by all means, all eyes on Jesus. All eyes on Jesus. Texting and driving, it's a big deal today. Why is it such a big deal? Because distraction will cause accidents. And it's the same way on your spiritual journey. Distractions will cause accidents. Looking to the right or to the left will keep you from focusing on where it is you're running to. Get rid of all the distractions. Put it away and fix your eyes on Jesus. Run well because he's your hope, your only hope. It's Jesus who saved you. It's Jesus who will see you through. Next week, I want to talk about pulling together, just recognizing how we're better together as a body. But right now, I need you just to take some time. And I need you to think, between you and God, just let the Holy Spirit minister to you. Think about where you are right now. And it's a temporary housing situation. Because you're getting ready for a permanent place. How much stock are you putting in temporary housing? And how much are you investing in what's going to be there forever? Just take a moment and consider that. I like to talk about spiritual breathing. Exhale. Confess. Agree with God about what he already knows. God, I'm holding on to this world. God, I'm putting too much stock into this world. Today I realize it's not worth it. And inhale. Receive the fullness of the Spirit by 
allowing Christ to take his proper place on the throne of your life. Yeah. Lord, I surrender this area of my life to you. Take your proper place on the throne of my life and make me the person you want me to be. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. Thank you for what you've done, and thank you for what you're going to do.